in the house of the Lord. Amen? All right. Hey, guys, tonight I want you to turn with me to uh, the gospel. Hi, Josh. I see you. It's <laughs> my son. He's a nerd. Um, I want you guys to turn with me to the gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 5. As you guys know, just we finished Leviticus several weeks ago, been kind of freelancing, if you would. But tonight, I want to I go to this passage. I felt like during my time of prayer, uh, just seeking God and waiting upon him for what to teach tonight, um, I feel like this is the passage. And so we're going to read uh, the first 20 verses. First 20 verses. I'm going to read them and you guys can just um, follow along. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackle in pieces. No one had enough strength to subdue him. And night and day, the uh, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, that is, Jesus was saying to this guy, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside, and they, that is the demons, begged him, that is Jesus, saying, send us into the pigs. Let us enter into them, verse 13. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out of the and entered into the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and to the count, all in the county, and people came to see what had happened. Verse 15, they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region as he was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said, go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy upon you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everybody marveled. Father, as we read this text, I pray, Father, right now that you would speak to us through your word. 
Father, I pray that any distraction outwardly or inwardly, the thoughts of the day, the election, all the things that that may don't want to just jockey for position in our mind, I pray that, that, Lord, your word would be the voice that we hear, that you would speak to us. And, Lord, give us that word that we need to each one of us here tonight. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. That is deafening to me. That is really hard. I'm a, I'm a very like squirrel kind of guy. That's hard for me to, to focus through, but it's awesome at the same time. How many of you guys have heard the story that I read, Mark chapter 5? How many of you guys have maybe read that or heard it before? Majority of you guys. I've read this text, I, I don't know how many times. I've taught it. But to this day, this is one of the weirdest stories ever. And I'm trying to think to myself, if I'm you, you know, maybe hearing it for the first time, how weird is this story? Everything about it is just strange. What is up with this guy? What is up with the pigs? What is up? There's so many weird details about this story. And I want to unpack them for you in a moment. We're going to go through the story in a moment. But here's why I'm drawn to this, this text. And I don't want you to miss the simplicity of this. Guys, at the end of the day, this account is a story of a man that was helplessly, hopelessly lost. And he had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and his life was changed forever. Amen? And it may have a lot of weird details to it, but at the core, that's what the story's about. And it's as we're going to see, not just his story, but it's the gospel story, and it's our story. And we're going to look at that. But first, what I want to do is kind of go through the story. I want to retell it. I read it all through together on purpose because there's a lot of verses. I wanted to make sure I got through it all. And I wanted you to hear it in one sitting, so, so to speak. But I want to just kind of retell the story. And I want to just highlight a few things. And the first thing I want you to notice with me is verse 1 where it says this. They came, that would be Jesus and his disciples, came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Now, some of your Bible translations may have, it may say the Gadareans. Does anybody's Bible say Gadareans? Well, I'll explain to why that is in a moment. In fact, if you, if you can, would you throw up that map? It's the second one. Actually, it doesn't matter which one you put up there. I just want to give you guys a visual. I don't usually do this, but hey, that's, that's good. So when it says that Jesus crossed over to the other side of the sea, he was probably in this area in Capernaum right here. Down here is Gerasia, or, or, or Gergisa, however you pronounce it, the Gerasenes. Um, can you show that other map, the one right next to it? This one here you might see this right here, Gadara. So Gadara was the main city, but this whole area was kind of the area of um, the Gerasenes. And so when it says that Jesus crossed over the, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, he and his boys probably just crossed like this. It's not like they went straight down. They probably just went a couple of miles across to this area here. And I, I just want to give you that visual for a reason. You can go ahead and kill the map. Thank you, Belinda. Um, they didn't travel very far, but guys, here's what I want to point out. It may as well have been across the globe. Here's what I mean by that. It was a night and day situation from where they were. 
When it says that Jesus and the guys crossed over and they went to this area of Gadara or the Gerasenes, um, there's a lot of nuance to that. The, the city of Gadara, if you don't know, is what is called one of the cities of the Decapolis. And in your Bibles, in fact, this account is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, so I'll be kind of referencing each of those. But this city called Gadara is one of the cities of the Decapolis. Deco meaning ten, police meaning cities. And these were individual city-states. I'm not trying to bore you. This is actually pretty important information to catch some of the nuance of what Jesus is doing here. These were individual city-states. Nine of them were on the east side of the Jordan. One of them, called Bethshan, was on the west side of the Jordan. And these were, uh, when I say city-states, they were individual cities, but they, they were like, it was like going to another state, if you would. They had their own judges, their own courts. They were very distinct and autonomous. But what's important about these cities is when Alexander the Great went through, and conquered that region. He set up these city-states, this Decapolis, and the whole, you know, his whole heart was to Hellenize, if you would, secularize, bring the culture of Greece to that entire, his, you know, the world basically was his dream, right? So each one of these individual city-states that had many, many Hebrew inhabitants, yet it was a deep, deep, deep Greek culture. In its heyday, there would have been temples to Zeus, there would have been theater, there would have been statues everywhere. How do you think the Hebrews, by the way, feel about statues when like commandment number one is, you know, or two is you shall not make any graven image. They don't like statues. There's statues everywhere. The Greeks were all about the human body. They had gymnasiums where you would go and wrestle and work out completely nude. They were all about a loose, crazy, sexual, hedonistic lifestyle that was absolutely abhorrent to the religious Jew. Does that make sense? Well, time has gone by clearly by the time Jesus is coming to this town. The Romans have taken this, but the only thing different is now it's got a Roman flavor to it, a Greco-Roman flavor, and it's a completely Hellenized, secularized city. All of them were. And in the time of Jesus, there would have been Jewish people there. By the way, anybody remember way back to the story of Joshua, that some of the Jewish tribes actually settled on the east side. Do you guys remember who those were? I'll give you a hint. It was Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Anyway, so there's a population of Jewish people on that side. But listen, the religious Jewish people full-on looked down on the other Jewish people that lived there because they were so, if you would, worldly in their eyes. Does that make sense? The point I'm trying to make is no self-respecting religious Jew hangs out in this area. It's heathenistic. And so what does Jesus do? He loads up the boys and takes them to Vegas. That's basically what he does. He's like, he goes where you're not supposed to go. He's, this is mildly scandalous is what I'm getting at. By the way, same thing as when they, and this is just a freebie for you, um, when they went to Caesarea Philippi, same thing. That was a resort where all the soldiers went to get crazy. And that's, remember, that's where Jesus says, who do people say the Son of Man is? And that whole dialogue happens in one of the craziest, worldly, secular places. And here's what I love. That's where Jesus goes. That's where Jesus takes his boys. Not to where it's a very upstanding religious... 
No, he takes them to the most secular, polluted, filthy, hedonistic, dirty, pagan worshiping place that there is. So just note that because we're going to come back to it. He gets there. That's the place, but now let's talk about the man that he encounters. And this is, I mean, this guy's, I can't go into all of the details, but let's just point out some of the main things that we learn about this man. We learn first off that this man, it says in verse 2, has an unclean spirit. And actually, we find out that he had many unclean spirits. This guy is full-on demonically possess. And I don't want to go into a whole doctrinal teaching about that. We'll just say tonight that that's what was going on. He was filled with unclean spirits, fallen angels or unclean spirits. The Bible talks all about that. Um, And he's being completely controlled. At some point in his life, I don't know what his backstory was. Who knows? Somehow opening himself up to that realm, and he is now completely overtaken and controlled by these demonic forces operating through his body. We find out from Luke's gospel in chapter 8, verse 27, that he was naked. We find out that he's living among the tombs. You know, when people died in the Middle East and even to this day, you bury them the day they die because of the heat. You know, I don't have to give you a lesson on this, but there's, you don't have a very short window before decomposition starts to take place. And so you, the way they would bury in the Middle East is you put them in a tomb or a cave and a certain amount of time goes by and once the body has decayed, the family would go back into the tomb, take the bones and put them in what's a bone box, an ossuary, and they would stack those bone boxes in a family tomb and you're like, oh, there's Uncle Bob, Uncle Joe, Aunt Susie. What? Oh, sorry, Susie. I didn't mean to do that to you, but um, anyways, uh, And so that's what would work. So here's a guy, he's living in a place of death. He's living among a place where dead bodies and decomposing bodies hang out, and he's naked, and he's he's, he's filled with demons, and he's homeless, quite literally. He's an outcast. It says in one of the accounts that, I think it's Luke, that these demons drove him into the wilderness, drove him into isolation. We're told and I'll just sum it up like this, that this man is out of control. Isn't that crazy? They're like, they couldn't bind him anymore with chains, meaning they tried a bunch of times. They couldn't subdue this guy with chains and shackles, meaning he needed to be subdued. This guy was out of control. And probably because of the supernatural thing that's happening in him with the demonic spirits, they would shackle him and he would have a supernatural strength and break the chains and shatter the shackles. But the point is, they felt a need to actually chain this guy up because he was a menace in their community. Do you guys understand that everybody knew who this guy was? He was that guy that when they were driving to Foodland, they're like, oh, don't hang, there he is, Crazy Joe. He's the guy walking down the street and he's talking to himself and he's out there and there's demonic, there's something crazy going on and this was, It was nuts. Everybody knew who he was. But at this stage in his life, he is at the pinnacle, maybe the opposite of that, the depths of hopelessness. He's demon-possessed. He's naked. He's living among the tombs. He's an outcast. He's out of control, and he's tormented. He's tormented. You know, there'd be a tendency to be almost laugh the guy off. I, I bet you they did have jokes about him. Oh, yeah, crazy, whatever. But this guy was tormented. I don't know if you caught that when I read it through. 
every night, every day and night up on the hills and from the tombs, if you were in proximity, you could hear him wailing and crying out in torment. And he's cutting himself with rocks. He's cutting himself. He's cutting himself. Why? Because he's tormented inside. I just want to, by the way, this is an aside, and I get almost like chills thinking about talking about it, so it means the Holy Spirit must be telling me to do it. You don't have to be demon-possessed, by the way, to cut yourself. And I, I don't know if you know this, but this is still a very big problem with adolescents, young girls especially. Cutting, self-harm, self-mutilation. And they say that the reason that teenagers and college students and young kids cut themselves is to, it's a coping mechanism because they don't know how to deal with the trauma and the abuse and the pain that is so built up inside and it is some kind of a release. And here's this man, you know, it's easy to just say, oh, crazy demon-possessed guy, get that guy out of here. But, but don't forget he's a human being. He's a child of God that is lost and dying and tormented and is full of so much pain. He's cutting himself and wailing and crying out. Enter Jesus. Jesus. Now, when you put the accounts together, it says, I think even right here when I read it, that from afar off, this guy sees Jesus. He lives in the tombs up on the hills, evidently, but clearly saw this, the, the boat coming, and as it got closer, maybe could see who it was, maybe heard stories of this guy, comes running out, and it's like, you know, here's Jesus, steps out of the boat, demon-possessed guy. I mean, just straight up in his face. And what happens next is amazing. Jesus confronts this, this demon, this group of demons. First of all, I want you to notice a couple of things about this interaction because as he falls at Jesus' feet and he engages, and by the way, most of this conversation, it's Jesus talking to this guy, but it is the demonic entities that are answering through his body. Do you guys understand that? And if you're like, oh, that's just for the movies, I would just say this. No, it's not. It's a very real phenomena. It's a very real thing. Um, it's not something that we worry about or go seeking after, but this is something that is just a, a reality in life, especially when um, Jesus shows up. And so here's what happens. This guy, well, first of all, we're told that Jesus says to them, is commanding them to leave, and then he says, um, what's your name? And the demon answers, legion, because there's a lot of us. Now, that's interesting. Was the demon using hyperbole? Because a legion, a Roman legion, was 6,000 soldiers. We know this. When the demons do get kicked out of the man, they, in, they possess those pigs, and there's 2,000 of them, and they all went down into the hill and killed themselves. So I don't know how many were in there, but this is crazy. And a couple of things I just want to point out, not, not to make a, a big teaching about demons, but just because it's in the text and I want to point it out. First of all, I want you to know did you notice the demons knew exactly who Jesus was? They said, what are you doing here, Jesus, son of the most high God? Did you guys catch that? They knew exactly who he was. They knew who he was more than anyone else. They knew who he was more than the disciples knew who he was. 
That doesn't mean they were believed in him in, in the sense of salvation. I'm just saying they, they're like, oh, no. And by the way, that's my second point. They knew exactly who, they, who he was. And number two, they were absolutely terrified of him. And they begged Jesus to, to not send them out of the country. They begged Jesus. In fact, I think it's Luke again or maybe Matthew. They said, have you come to torment us before our time? What does that mean? Don't throw us into the abyss, they beg him. What does that mean? Well, again, I'm not going to chase all of that down, but I'll say this. The demons know there is a day on the calendar where their time is up. Revelation chapter 20 tells us that these demons will be cast into the pit forever and ever. Amen? And they evidently don't want to go there. And evidently they are absolutely freaked out about it. And they're like, whoa, 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 did you come early to send us there? Don't. And they're freaking out and they're scared. And they, they give Jesus the suggestion, go, send us into the pigs. And then I love that little phrase, he gave them permission. The demons knew who he was. The demons were freaked out, terrified of him. And the demons were absolutely submitted to him. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen. I don't think, you know, just as an aside, because it's a reality, like the whole demonic realm, the whole spiritual battle realm, it's not something we should ever fear, nor is it something we should be ignorant of, though, either. It's not something we should put a ton of emphasis on and overthink, but we shouldn't be unaware of it either. We shouldn't be ignorant of it. But all that to say is that whenever there's an encounter, if you ever come up against something like that, Know this, they have to obey Jesus Christ. And you never want to deal with demonic spirits and demonic power straight up. You always just plead the blood of Jesus. You cry out to Jesus if you ever get into an encounter like that. Amen? When I was in Africa, I think I've told this story many times in 2001. It's in Africa, Sudan, southern Sudan. And uh, I think I told you guys this story, but just smile and nod. And... uh, we were teaching at a little school there. Anyways, the bottom line is there's a guy that had showed up at this little compound, and they asked if we would go pray for him because he was being tormented by something. And that night, I remember uh, 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 we were sleeping. We were going to go see him the next morning, and I heard a rifle go off like, pow. He was part of the SPLA Army, Sudanese People Liberation Army. This is before they were unified or divided. This was South Sudan at the time. And um, that woke me up, freaked out. Somebody's firing a rifle, an AK, you know. And so the next morning we got done teaching and me and my friend were walking to this tuku, this uh, hut that they were in. And um, I'll never forget that screaming and wailing I heard. And as I walked in and ducked my head, I always remember this, ducking my head underneath the, the, the entrance and seeing a grown man being held down by about eight different soldiers. And I walked over and we just my friend and I just looked at each other and he went towards the feet and I went towards the head and we just began to plead the, the name of Jesus over this guy and demand in the name of Jesus that that demon leave. And it's a, it's a crazy story, but my point is, is that the demon had to leave. And there was a struggle and there was a battle. It was kind of actually crazy. I put my hand on him and he screamed like I was burning him with fire. It was the craziest thing ever. In fact, I took my hand away and just Began, and he stopped, and I put my hand, and he started again. I did, 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 no, I didn't do it that many times. I'm just kidding. But, but that actually did happen. And the bottom line is he just, he just went like he just was dead. And my friend, who is also a Christian, he says, guys, when he wakes up, just feed him. I think I've told this story. I keep saying that. But the next day, this guy's name is Peter, walks over to me and my friend, the most mellow, chilled out, coolest guy you've ever met in your life. 
and there was life in his eyes. And he looks at me, and I, and I explained to him the scripture out of Matthew where it says, look, when if a demon leaves, um, you basically got to fill that void because if you don't come to know Christ at that time, he'll just come back around. I'm, that's a horrible paraphrase of Jesus' uh, teaching on that. But I just basically explained the gospel to him. And after this massive dramatic thing the day earlier, I explained the gospel in simple terms through an interpreter. Um, I said, do you want to pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? He said, yes. We prayed. There was no lightning. There was no screaming. There was no jumping jacks. It was the most like, do you want to go have lunch now? Or I was like, did it, that, did it work? Like, did it take? But guys, I had the privilege the next day of teaching them the, the church service, and, and then after the church service, I looked up, and there he was standing there, just tears running through his eyes, and then as I was leaving, I'll never forget, we got in the back of this Jeep with a big old 50 caliber machine gun, you know, like mounted in the back, and they're driving us across the border, and, um, and I just remember, I'll never forget, it's burned into my eyes. He's holding a Bible in his hand, and he's shaking it like this, and he's looking at me with tears streaming down his eyes. And there was life in his eyes. And he was delivered and set free by Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen, yeah. I don't know what, I didn't really plan on telling that story, but I just, I, I think of it when I think of this. This guy, he's, he's broken, he's in all these things, and Jesus comes and delivers him and just sets him free in a moment. Amen? Well, now the story gets weird again. Like, if that part wasn't, well, the, the pig thing, I, I skipped over that whole thing. Why the pigs? I don't know. I have, a, I have a sneaky suspicion that the demons wanted to go to the pigs so that they could just cause problems. He just killed their entire, like, income. Do you understand that? Messed up the entire, like, that whoever owned those pigs just lost 2,000 of them, lost their income. By the way, why are they hurting pigs, those Hebrews over in Gadara? They're unclean animals, if you don't understand. That's how far, sec- you know, they've just kind of abandoned all of that. Whatever the reason was, I don't want to speculate for tonight, it's not all that important, other than to say um, it caused a huge stir. So here's, here's where it gets weird again. Well, the pigs die. That's weird. But then the people that were evidently watching this whole thing go down just turned and ran into the city, ran into the countryside, and they're like, you guys got to come to the beach. You, whoa, they, you got to. And they just start calling people over, and they're like, what's going on? And, they, and, and this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible where it says there in verse 15, they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man who had had the legion. In other words, he used to be demon-possessed. He used to have a legion of demons. But they see this once-possessed man now delivered, sitting, and Luke says, at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And everybody knew this guy. And everybody remembers this guy from the, the, the incidences they've had with him in town. But now they show up and, and they see him completely free, clothed, and in his right mind, sitting right at the feet of Jesus. And it says they were freaked out. And this is, the, this is what I mean by why, why it gets weird. So what do they do next? It says... <laughs> And they began to beg Jesus to come into their city and change them and to be the center of their lives. It doesn't say that. They just saw this ridiculous demonstration of delivering power. And it says they began to beg Jesus to leave their region. Isn't that weird? 
Oh, please, Jesus, we see what you did. Will you please leave? Isn't that weird? Isn't that just like, like, it's it kind of, you read it again like, really? Wouldn't it make more sense if it were me, I would have been like, Jesus, stay. I don't know, probably not. They begged him to leave, and you know what? He did. Not to be coy about this, and I, don't, I even never use the word coy, but not to be, you know, too light about this or, or cavalier about it, but Jesus left. Why? He never stays where he's not wanted. You, you leave, Jesus. Okay. And Jesus gets in the boat. How big of an opportunity did that town miss? Jesus gets in the boat, and then it gets even weirder still. Because <laughs> the previously possessed, demon-possessed guy now delivered, who's been delivered for like 20 minutes, says, begs Jesus. There's a lot of begging in this story. The demons beg, the people beg, this guy's begging. And what does he say? It says that he begs him that he might be with him. I automatically think of, of Mark chapter 1 where Jesus called his disciples that they might be with him. And I'm like, that's a good thing. This guy, what is he saying? Jesus, I know you're leaving. Can I come with you? I want to, what's he saying? I want to be with you. I want to learn from you. I want to be one of your disciples. I want to go with you. I'm all in. And Jesus says, no. This is what's crazy to me. Jesus says, No. But instead, what does he do? He sends him. He says, no, but go home. Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord's done for you. Show them how much mercy God has had on you. You are a living testimony, man. That's what he was saying. Your life is a testimony, and all I want you to do, he doesn't, see, and, and this is where I have a problem with Jesus. He's doing it wrong. Jesus is doing it wrong. Everybody knows. This guy didn't even sign a follow-up card. I'm being tongue-in-cheek, you guys. He didn't do it wrong. This guy's been saved like 20 minutes. You don't send a guy out that's been saved for 20 minutes. He hasn't even been discipled. He hasn't even gone to Bible college. He hasn't gone to seminary. He doesn't have, he's a, he doesn't have, there wasn't even a Bible yet. I mean, this, this guy's so ill-prepared. And Jesus goes, Perfect. Day one of your conversion, guess what you get to be? A missionary. By the way, I don't want you to make the wrong conclusion. I'm not saying we shouldn't be discipled because Jesus tells us to make disciples. Clearly, we're supposed to have discipleship and Bible training is good and all the things. Those are wonderful, good, and right things. I'm just saying, isn't it crazy that Jesus just says, well, they're kicking me out, so I'm going to leave you here instead. He didn't go without leaving a witness behind. He said, they rejected me, but... I want you to go. What do, what, do I, what, do, what do I do? Just, you don't have to do anything. Just tell them, just tell them what God's done for you. I love that. He says, just go tell, just go show people. In this guy's case, all he had to do was like walk into town and they're like, what happened? Tell me everything. Because he's so different, so changed. Kind of like Steve's friends when they meet him later in life. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just a little shot there, Steve. The point is he sends him out. So that's the story. And now I want to tell you the real story, which is even weirder. The real story 
is that I believe this is a real awesome picture of the gospel. Isn't it? What do you mean? You know, Jesus gave his mission statement a couple times. He said that he came to what? Seek and to save the lost. Jesus left the self-respecting place where other Jews could hang out, maybe at Capernaum and all that places where it was acceptable. There's a synagogue there and da-da-da. And he crosses over into the worldliest, craziest place. But guys, do you understand why he went there? He went there because there was a lost man. He had a divine appointment. He went to save that guy. And he was willing to leave that area to go to that area. But do you guys understand that the step down from Capernaum to Gadara is nothing? Because what Jesus really did is he left heaven and came to earth to seek lost people. Amen? To seek you. To seek me. And there is not an example that I can come up with. I'll try. But there's not an adequate example. There's not enough words to somehow get our brains to understand the step down. When Jesus left his throne and glory, he didn't stop being God, but he took off his glory, if you would, and put on humanity. And the step down from heaven to come down to this place, earth, there's no example I can give you to even come close to that. I'll try. Last night or the night before, my wife found one of the largest cockroaches I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I've been here three years. I've seen some cockroaches. This one was in my bathroom sink, and he couldn't quite get out. You know, he was slipping. And I'm so glad she found it because I would have freaked out. She's the cool, collected one in the family. She's like, Jason, there's a small dog in our bathroom sink, if you could take care of that. And I'm like, oh, man. So I get the thing, and I grab one of her slippers, and I kill that bad boy, crunch it. I actually told her earlier, I was like, I think he was using your toothbrush. I'm pretty sure he was brushing your teeth. No. Um, but I kill that, that thing, and, and we throw it away, flush it, all that stuff. But, you know, this is an old analogy. I'm just modernizing it from, for me the last couple of days. What if I actually loved cockroaches? That's one thing I'm not going to miss about quiet. But what if I loved them? And what if I was like, oh, man, don't these guys know that they're spraying tomorrow? i got to save them. And I yell at that cockroach, guys, they're spraying tomorrow, 930, get out. And all they hear is, because I'm so big and so far beyond their comprehension as a human. So the only way to save them is, I've got to become like them. I've got to be a cockroach. And the only way to adequately save them was to get them out of the way, and I push them out of the way just in time, but the exterminator comes, and I get sprayed, and I die in their place. That is such a dumb example. You guys understand what I'm saying? A human coming down to cockroach status is not even in the same universe of the idea of God becoming his creation, man, to this cesspool called earth full of rebellious creation. But he left heaven because he was seeking to save the lost. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jesus left glory to come. You see, in this story, you may, this may offend you, but guess who you are in this story? When you get the cockroach, yeah. No, different story. Um, 
you're the demon-possessed man. What I mean by that is you were completely, absolutely, and hopelessly lost. I'm not saying you were necessarily, literally demon-possessed. What I'm saying is, is that you were so far gone and so hopeless and so helpless and so rebellious against God and so deserving of his wrath, you were like him. Now, I can almost feel it. I can almost and some of us that take a little bit of objection to that. You might say, well, I mean, I was pretty bad, but I mean, there's guys like that in the world. And, but I was, I mean, I grew up in a good home and we went to church. I pay my taxes and I don't sin that bad. I mean, everybody lies, no one's perfect. Do you guys understand? You can't understand and glorify and revel in and enjoy and know the depths of God's grace and love until you understand just how lost you were until he came unto your shores. A man or a woman who understands their lostness before Christ, I'm not talking about now that you're in Christ, but before Christ, do you understand you were, let me just read this to you, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3. You were dead in your trespasses and sins when once you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That means you were following the flow of Satan before you got saved. Among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh. In other words, we just lived out whatever our flesh wanted to do, whether that was religious flesh or just hedonistic flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's who we were. Whether you looked like Nicodemus in your robes and religiousness and had all the Bible knowledge, or you were the woman at the well who was immoral and lost and an outsider. We were lost without Jesus Christ. We were that man, helpless. Why am I camping on this point? I know that 90-some percent of you guys in here are probably saved, but the reason I'm camping upon this is because if we're not careful, we can kind of somehow think we just needed to get a little bit saved. We did not need to get a little bit saved, guys. We were completely, hopelessly lost, and we did nothing to save ourselves. We contributed zero. He's the one that crossed the gulf. He's the one who initiated. He's the one who came. He's the one that came into our lives and made himself known, and that's the only reason we got saved. Amen? I love that. And it says, by the way, that when he saw this man and had mercy on him, he delivered him. And guys, that's what God has done for us. Any of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, guess what? Like that man, we have been delivered we have been seated. Ephesians 2, 6. In fact, I just read 1 through 3. Let me read you the rest. We were like children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him. And listen to this. Seated with him in heavenly places. And just like this man was seated at the feet of Jesus, guys, that is our position now. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've been born again. And you're like, well, I don't know if I want to be one of those kind of born-again Christians. You better, because that's the only kind of Christian there is. That's the only kind of Christian there is. You see, when you realize that sinner that you were, when you realize your lostness and Christ came into your life and you repented and like him fell at his feet and Jesus saved you. And by that I mean 
you, you put your faith in the fact that Jesus died for your sins on the cross, raised from the dead, and you have put your trust in him to be your savior. At that moment, you have been justified. You have been forgiven. You have been brought in as a son. And I don't say it and daughter, that's true. But what I mean by that is we've been given sonship. We have been given an inheritance like a firstborn son in that culture with all of its benefits, whether you're male or female. You've been brought into this amazing relationship and position with God, delivered, Colossians 1.13 says, delivered from the domain of darkness and put into the kingdom of his dear son. Amen? Thank you, Mitch. (laughs) And listen, when you did that, when you got saved, there was no process there was no, I'm trying to be good enough to become a Christian. It doesn't work like that. When people say to me, and I ask them, are you a Christian? Well, I'm trying. I realize they don't understand at all what it means to be a Christian. Because you can't get to Christ by trying to be a Christian. You have to come to him broken, fouled up, messed up just as you are, and let him do something to you. Let him save you. Let him take your sin off of you. Let him put his righteousness in you. And it is all him. It is everything he does for us. Amen? And once he does that, guys, we are seated with him at the right hand of the Father. Ephesians 1 says that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Ephesians 2 says we're seated with him. And I don't even know exactly what all that means, but it's awesome. It means like right now, physically, we, our position is right here on earth. But positionally, Christian, you are as righteous and clean and forgiven as you're ever going to be, and your position is with Christ right next to the Father. That's who you are. You're seated with Christ in new life, and you're clothed. Oh, I love it. It's one of my favorite passages, Isaiah 61.10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. And when you came to Christ, it's as if he took his robe of righteousness and laid it upon you. And now when the Father sees you, he sees the very righteousness of Jesus Christ on you. Amen? Trip out on that for the next bazillion years. This just like this man was delivered in an instant, seated with Christ, clothed just like we are, and he was in his right mind. How many of you guys can say tonight, when I came to Christ, I finally came to my right mind? And guys, it's not over. It's a process. Romans 12, 2 says, by the renewing of your mind. Christ, if, if, uh, 2 Corinthians says that we have the mind of Christ. He revamps our mind. We think differently. And notice this happens after we're saved. We don't think differently and then get saved. He has to change us from the inside. And then he begins to warp and tweak. And we realize, I think about everything wrong. I think about sex wrong. I think about politics wrong. I think about... Uh, anger issues wrong. I think about parenting wrong. and, And it can be a little humbling, by the way. Aren't you glad that God doesn't show you in one instant, right, when you get saved, everything that you're doing wrong? You'd just be like, off me right now. I can't handle. But as you grow closer to him and you spend time with him and you read his word, he begins to change the way you think, change you from the inside out, and you are transformed, proving what is the acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen? And so what I mean is, this is our story. This was his story, but it's our story. Jesus left heaven to find a wretch like me, and he saved me. And it wasn't me trying to get saved. He came to me. He saved me. And now I'm seated with him at the right end of the Father, clothed in his righteousness, and I have the mind of Christ. 
I'm a different person. I have encountered Jesus. I want to ask you something tonight. Do you have religion or have you encountered Jesus? Because there is a world of difference. There is a world of difference. And, I, and I, 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 I feel sorry for those who are just mundanely coming to church week in and week out and think that singing five songs, throwing 40 bucks in the basket, and going home is Christianity. It's not. It's about an encounter with the living Jesus who transformed you from the inside out. Amen? And it is much more exciting than we're making it, guys. And then this is the last part. Remember I said this is his story, but it's our story. Because he sought us, he saved us, and he has sent us. He sent this guy, this unqualified nobody who was 20 minutes ago possessed with like thousands of demons. <laughs> and he says, you're perfect, you'll do. You've been saved, now I just want you to go and tell everybody what I've done for you. That's called being a witness. You didn't even tell him to give him the four spiritual laws. I told you Jesus did it all wrong with this guy. Guys, the point is this, the same Jesus that has saved us. You know what, by the way, um, they, the, the city rejected this Jesus, sent him away. John 1.11 says, Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. He was rejected very clearly. And he's gone, by the way. He raised from the dead and he ascended to heaven. But guess who he's now using to get the word out? You, me. We're it. He says in, in, in Matthew 28, it says, all authority in heaven and in earth, I'm paraphrasing, has been given to me, Jesus said, and I say to you, go, disciple the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things I've commanded you. Do you catch that first part? That's an important part. All authority in heaven and earth is given to Jesus, and what does he say? Go. Guys, we are a sent people. We are a sent people. We are a sent people. We don't have to wait to be sent. We've already been sent. And we need to live sent lives. Now, the vast majority of us will never leave where we live. That's okay. That, if we all left, who would stay? I mean, we, you, you, you live a sent life right where you live. Does that make sense? We live a sent life. We are called right now in the context that we are living to just be a witness for Jesus. He said, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And this is what I love, you guys. I'm not trying to be oversimplified on this thing. We can do what this guy did. Why are we so scared? Why am I so scared? Why, why, what if they propose a Bible question I don't have the answer to? I don't know. Look it up and tell them later. Ask Steve. He knows everything about the Bible. Get back to him. Just give him Steve's number. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But here's what I want to tell you guys. This guy was so unqualified, so unlikely, and he's the first missionary sent out by Jesus. <laughs> and we're sent by Jesus. Jesus said, just as the Father sends me, I am sending you. <laughs> Breathe on him to receive the Holy Spirit. We're sent. Do you, do you live sent? Do you go to school sent? Do you go to work sent? Do you parent sent? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Do you, do you live a life that is a witness for Christ? Are you looking for opportunities? Do you know people all around you that are going to go into eternity without Christ? This is not a guilt thing like, oh, get out there, guys, come on. What I'm saying is we can do what this guy did. You may not be, have gone to college, you may not, but you know what you have? If you're a born-again Christian, you have a testimony. 
I don't have a testimony. Yes, you do. I'm the guy that used to say, I don't have a testimony. I was 15 years old. We're getting ready to go on my first ever missions trip. EV Free Church in Camarillo, California. Getting ready to go on spring break trip to Mexico. And the pastor goes, I want everybody to write their testimony down. And I was the kid that was like, I don't have one. I got saved when I was 10. Well, you better figure it out. You need one page. Write it. So I had to think about my life. And you know what I found out? I have a testimony. I got saved when I was 10 years old. God, see, you don't have to come from a full drug background, demon-possessed, you know, pimping, doing all those things, and then Jesus saved you. You know what? The very fact you could be like me, a church kid that went to church for years and didn't know what it meant to be born again until my mom told me. And God reached into my life and saved me. Amen? I've never even been drunk. I can't go there. I don't even know that side of the story. But the point is, is that we all have a testimony. Amen? You have a testimony. And if you don't know what it is, I want to challenge you. Go home and write out your testimony. Go think about where you were, how Jesus met you, and where you are now. And you know what? Pray. I triple dog dare you to pray this week that God would open up a door at the coffee shop or at the job site or at Foodland or whatever and just tell somebody how good God has been to you and just see where that conversation goes. What if they want to know more? Then just pray and let the Holy Spirit give, him, give you more to tell them. But you've got a testimony. You know the gospel. You were lost. Jesus died for your sins. He raised from the dead. You put your faith in him. You're saved. Amen? Guys, um, I'm going to go a little bit off grid here. I know I've gone late, but everybody's freaked out and worried right now. You guys know that? There's some minor things going on in our nation and around the world. Let's be the, the, the people in this community that are not complaining about everything and that have joy in our heart and that are able to say, well, I trust the Lord and God is good. Amen? Because that's going to freak people out. Why aren't you angry and why aren't you all, you know, salty and why aren't you all like pulling this side and pulling this side? Why aren't you debating this? I'm not saying there's not a place for a healthy conversation about your convictions. But what I'm saying is, is that our job description doesn't change with who becomes president. Our job description does not change one bit. We've been sent by the one who has all authority to be a witness into the world, amen? And you've been sent. You've been sent. And, and guys, um, when Jesus ended up really giving the Great Commission and sending them, he said, go into all the world. But you know what he said next, basically? But don't go anywhere until you've been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the work we've been called to do is a supernatural one, so if we try to do it in natural powers, it's going to be frustrating at best. We need the power and the potency of the Holy Spirit to be those witnesses. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together, and uh, we're going to pray. But here's what I, I just real simply, not going to make a big deal out of this, but real simply, where you stand tonight, if in your heart you just say, Lord, a couple of things. One, praise God that he saved us, amen? Two, you may be here tonight, and maybe you've never actually encountered Jesus. You've come to church, but you've never been born again. You've never been saved. 
I want to take a moment to pray and give you that opportunity. But thirdly, I want us to say this. Like Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, when God said, who will go? Who will I send? What did Isaiah say? Here I am. Send me. Let's just pray that the Holy Spirit would fall upon us afresh, that we could just, with simplicity, go out into this community or wherever the Holy Spirit sends you and tell them how good God has been to us and tell them how good God can be to them. Amen? So first of all, let's bow our heads. And right now, if you have never received Jesus Christ, if you've never come to him and confessed that you have sinned and fallen short of his, of his glory, and you're not sure even if your sins are forgiven, I want to pray for you. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything except know who you are. Be honest with yourself right now. And I'm just going to lead in this prayer. And if you need to pray this, then you pray it with all your heart. Okay? But it's got to come from you. It doesn't matter if you mimic what I say. You've got to pray it from your own heart. Father in heaven, I know I've sinned against you. I know that my sin deserves death. And I'm telling you tonight, I need you. I confess I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I can't deliver myself. Jesus, please forgive me of my sins and come into my life. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you raised from the dead. And I want you to be my Savior right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And if that's you, right, still with our heads bowed for a moment, if that's you, if you prayed that couple of things, if you prayed to mint it, you've been born again. The Holy Spirit of God has accepted you, and you're in the family. And I want to talk to you afterwards, by the way, if you've done that. I want, please come up and talk to me. Secondly, let's pray for this. Lord, you sent us. You said, Go. And I confess that I can very easily be swayed by the God of comfort and convenience and fear. But Lord, I want, I want to be a man who's truly living a sent life. And I pray that right now. And if, if you agree with me on this, would you just raise your hand up? Kind of like raising your heart with your hand to God if this is you. And just pray this with me. God, help me to be Filled with your Holy Spirit, come upon me right now, Lord. Help me to have boldness. Help me to have opportunities to tell people about the good news of Jesus. We want to live a sent life for you, Lord. Time is short. It's, it, there's not enough time for us to just rally the troops and build our fences and get all fat and sassy here on earth, Lord God. People need you. Lord, we want to go. We want to go right where we are. But Lord, I also want to pray for anybody you might be calling to go somewhere else, that they would answer that call, Lord. But regardless, Lord, we want to live for you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. We love you and we praise you and we give you this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God is good. Amen.